You're listening to Realities and Dreams Culture Under COVID, a series of podcasts examining the impact of COVID-19 on the UK creative economy. creative and cultural sector and individual practitioners within it have been hit especially hard by the pandemic. In each episode, a researcher from University of Warwick Centre for Cultural and Media Policy Studies will be talking to a creative practitioner about how their work has been affected and about their hopes for the future. As the rest of the economy slowly emerges from lockdown, artists, performers, writers and musicians are still struggling. Most of the audiences and institutions which support their work are still not able to operate effectively. The interactions and relationships which support their process are severely curtailed. There is little money coming in and many are having to consider other options. Without creative people, the rest of the creative economy cannot survive. How are they coping with this crisis and what can they look forward to in the future? Marla Kether is a 21-year-old jazz musician, producer and DJ. She's been playing bass since the age of 12 and has performed in festivals including Glastonbury and collaborated with talented musicians like Yasmin Lacey. She's still in her final year of a chemistry degree at Bristol and was just beginning to switch to a full-time music career this year when COVID-19 hit us. She spoke to Chris Bilton from University of Warwick via Zoom on Tuesday the 30th of June. Tell me what how the COVID-19 thing has, has hit you in terms of your work. Just before COVID, actually in, in February, I had two tours. Um, and the year was like looking to be really positive, like lots of income. So it's just a lot of work went out the window. And like some of it's been moved to like September time. But even then it's a bit, um, still a bit, we don't know whether we can do these gigs. And some of them have been moved to like February next year, com- like completely. So hopefully those can go ahead. Has this put you off the kind of the, the, what's been going on now? Are you thinking um, you're still determined to carry on with it? Yeah, I say definitely. I still, I kind of want, I would like the security of like a salary job, like a nice chemistry STEM kind of career. But I just like love music a lot and it's kind of my passion, so I want to follow it. Do you anticipate that you would make money out of live performance? Because that seems to be the sector that's the most badly hit at the moment, right? Yeah, basically all the money that musicians make is from gigging because like streams you get about 0.00004 pence per play. So basically you're making all your money from playing out. Because you've done some session work as well, haven't you? So, I mean, how's that work? With session work, as a session musician, you get a buyout. So instead of having royalties, you get paid up front and then you you basically like give up your rights to the the songs. Then I had like, uh, we also had like a writer's cut with um, PRS, but because it was like 8%, so like right now it wouldn't make that much of a difference compared to live music. It's not really going to be subsidising that much. It always used to be that you were told, oh, you, you need to record stuff because that's how you get paid. For the last yeah. 10 years at least, it's been, no, no, don't worry. You know, give your music away and make your money from touring, from gigging. And you know, yeah, even, exactly. even big name musicians have been doing that. Yeah, but I, I think that's probably because of streaming because... It's not like people are buying your records or like buying CDs anymore. It's literally it's free. So yeah, the buyout is probably the better alternative. Unless and radio play actually, you get um, I think it's a hundred pounds maybe per play. It's like ten thousand. Yeah, it's something like the fraction is ridiculous. Have you talked to other people in the industry about what's happening with those kind of engagements in the future? Because you said that you're hoping to go back and do some of these uh, next yeah. year. I'm pretty sure that festivals will come back next year. 
Um, but we're all really hopeful, obviously, because we're like biased. We're like, we want the money. So we're hoping that it's going to happen. Um, and I know that the festival in Spain I'm doing with um, a singer called Ego LMA is going ahead because, just because Spain have like opened up their borders to the UK. Is, is there any sense in which musicians, um, labels are helping each other? Is there any kind of, is there anything from within the industry where people are supporting each other? Within the industry, I really don't think there is. Like there are... Um, there are like emergency relief funds from organisations. Um, so I ha- I received some money from it was called Help Musicians UK. There isn't really much we can do as musicians because we're all kind of in the same boat, like struggling, and it's not like we can like fundraise really for each other. I think a lot of musicians have been fundraising, not fundraising, but just like donating to like Black Lives Matters charities and stuff like that. You mentioned Black Lives Matter. Is that how's it affected? Has it affected you in terms of your? your music and the kind of work that you want to do and that you are doing? It's not really affected the music I was doing. I feel like it just made me aware of the music that we're playing, like how much is influenced by black people and black culture, even though like sometimes there's people spearheading it and like who are the the face of it aren't black. Like if you look at like Giles Peterson, yeah, he's supporting it, even though he's not necessarily like black. But um, like when people release music and they're like, oh, it's my reaction to what's going on, then it kind of like it brings their ego into what's going on. You can reflect inwardly and not do this kind of performative, like performative activism almost. It's that's interesting what you said about Giles Peterson and and um, I guess that you know there are a lot of there are a lot of black musicians out there, but maybe there are not promoters, um, venue managers. Does that representation cut through? No. So basically, all. A lot of the musicians are black, and then as you go like higher up, like the some yeah, a lot of the times the managers are black. The tour managers can be black, and then after that, like when you get to the venues, the venues are mainly white. Like Yaz wanted to make a point of like touring in the UK, like black-owned venues, but like a lot of them didn't have the capacity. Yeah, hopefully we can have more support of um, black-owned venues because I think a lot of people are pushing black-owned businesses at the moment, but for live music to push the venues and like perform in black spaces would just be really nice. Yeah, because that's part of the... It's part of the thing of being part of an industry, not just being a performer, that you there need to be opportunities for people across the piece, you know, not just not just saying, well, you could be a musician. Because actually, yeah, exactly. you know, in a way, being a musician, you're you're the... In terms of the power play of it all, you're, you're, you're at the bottom of the pile, aren't you? You've got the weakest mm-hmm. bargaining position, in a way. And you're, you're as well as being a, a musician, you're also a DJ. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that there are not that many female DJs around. I don't, is that a stereotype? When I got into it, I started like two or three months ago. When I got into it, I saw like Honey Dijon, Jada G, um, Donna Leake. So I maybe knew about four names who are big DJs, um, who are female. And then like black female DJs, just Honey Dijon and Jada G. But the thing is, all the music that's being played is black music, like a lot of disco and a lot of funk, and it's mainly played by like white men. So I came into it like I want to reclaim this music, and to have that black music played by a black person is just like it's um it's almost revolutionary because it's just so rare to see it, even though it's very obviously it's just like why wouldn't that be a thing? You know, and DJs again, going back to the thing about hierarchies, they they can be quite influential, and they can you know mm. increasingly so now. Yeah. I think a lot of the people who would be influential are the people basically who are social media savvy and who are doing live streams. Because mm. if you can't play live, then you have to play live virtually, which is 
it's quite hard to adapt to it. It's probably like a, comes down to privilege almost. People who can afford to have all the gear to play to do live streams because like a lot of the the boiler rooms and stuff like you they have like expensive cameras and they have like big rooms. The way social media works sometimes is like the ones that have the best aesthetic and that look a certain way kind of get pushed to the top. So it like kind of promote perpetuates the like the wealthier almost DJs get more visibility. And if you don't have that certain look and if you don't have like the nice white walls and all the plants and stuff, then you're not going to get seen. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? That even even more supposedly a kind of DIY, you know, just just do it mentality, even there money still talks and you still yeah exactly you know, and like uh, um and the streaming site that they do boiler room it doesn't actually pay i found out that they don't pay the musicians but they pay them in exposure which is another thing in the industry that's like oh well you're going to get seen by this many people and there's going to be this person from the industry there so i can't pay you but it will pay off yeah and, and the exposure is for what isn't it in the end you, you're getting exposure to make some money out of something and there has to be yeah. at some point there has to be a check at the end of it otherwise you're just giving away your content for nothing on the other hand i mean you've you know you you say social media has been a it's it's something that you're taking seriously as, a, as something in your career so i guess mm. it's something that you you have to do it's compulsory almost yeah you literally life. have to <laughs> for, i think for musicians instagram is like linkedin like <laughs> just having your stuff out there on your page and then like connecting with other djs and musicians and then working with them maybe at some point and stuff like that is yeah just adding them to your circles if you had the power um what what could what could be done to help somebody like you at the start of a career at a difficult time in the industry to to kind of push through you know as a young black woman you've probably got it harder than a lot of other people who are trying to make it in that industry what could or should or might be done if there were if there was like a more broad way of subsidizing musicians just to encourage people who aren't well off to keep going after this pandemic and maybe even just like proving something as simple as like if you prove how much you were supposed to earn through gigging and then just get that money it's just it's like it's easier said than done but just eliminating bias maybe maybe some of those like we were saying before some of those gatekeeper roles as well that you know actually trying to create opportunities for promoters or venue owners you get people who are in a position where they could then hire in other people and i think definitely um some mentoring programs just um i think doing that mm. from maybe from like 16 17 year olds around that time like a lot of the black women i know in school like wanted to go into music but then it was just very hard to see how how it was possible basically have you ever had any sort of mentoring yourself has anybody helped you uh yeah i had a lot of mentoring so i started off in like year seven with um i did a lot of barbican creative learning programs which are really good so i had um, a mentor who was kind of like what do you want to do musically and then i said start playing the cello and then she gave me a cello <laughs> and gave me lessons like she taught she taught at Guildhall, which is really good and i did a program called the Audbury young musicians which is in suffolk and it's like a um, center of advanced training kind of program and you go there each course is led by a different musician from like a different background so we had like indian music gospel music um like contemporary some of the musicians were older than me so you get a lot of you get leadership from the tutors who are like obviously professionals and like leadership from other students who are a bit older than you and like they're starting to do gigs as well so you're like oh how do you get into the industry and like stuff like that so there was a for me there was a, a lot of avenues and like those avenues were possible because 
because AYM was um, very he heavily subsidized. So I qualified for like the biggest grant. So I got all the courses covered plus travel there. Plus I got extra money for lessons. So that helped a lot with my development. Um, and the Barbican creative learning stuff was free. It's interesting. A lot of that support is available when you're young, when you're, you're like year seven, mm -hmm. by me. But is there a feeling that you kind of that at a certain point stops drops out mm -hmm. when you suddenly now you're on your own yeah i think when you get to a certain point like just the whole world of releasing music on spotify and like gigging like organizing a tour is like a lot more complicated than i thought navigating that and like getting a manager and like basically when you get to a certain point it's kind of more exclusive even like the first email we got was like you get pds when you go abroad which just means per dms which is like money for food when you're abroad and it's just like I, because I was like really new and like, I don't think anyone else in the band was. I was just like, what's a PD? Like, how do I, how do I do any of this? Like, what's going on? <laughs> what do you think are the prospects for the music industry? I mean, because people are saying like parts of the performing arts, part of the theatre industry, venues, small kind of pub, that type venues are going to close down. They're just going to stop. You know, we've got, a, we've got a very successful creative industry sector in this country. And yeah. it seems like that is really under threat. I mean, what, what's, your, what's your prognosis? What do you think might happen? I feel like I'm going to be quite pessimistic because I feel like the, like the government will expect the industry to, to continue going, but without the funding. So I feel like it will become more elitist and like people who can mm. afford to go to these drama schools and can afford to... Even music lessons in schools, I'm pretty sure. Like the school I went to, Stokey, they, I don't think they do them anymore. So it would just make mu the music scene less diverse, I feel like. Basically, the London scene will, will still be diverse, but it's just like everywhere else in the UK. Because I always think, I always have to like remind myself that the whole of the UK is not London. <laughs> so it will just, I think it will be a lot harder for other cities if they don't have these, these, org these like charities. Um, is there anything that we've not talked about that you think we should have touched on that we've skimmed over? Maybe the benefits as a, like as a session musician i really didn't have much time to work on my own stuff because i was preparing for other people's gigs and doing those so i've had a lot of time to make my own music which has been really good for me and start producing learning a lot of new skills like using logic which i feel like has probably improved my playing and yeah practicing honestly i didn't really have time to practice between shows i was just practicing the songs that i needed to play rather than practicing um, my musicianship skills. Do you write? Do you, have you been writing? I want to start writing poetry and like writing lyrics for the songs I'm writing, but everything's so bad. <laughs> and I know you have to practice to get to a point where it obviously like flows, but that's not the case right now. <laughs> can you collaborate with people? Yeah, so you can just, with Logic, you literally like, you can just send your Logic project to someone else and then they play on it and then send it back. So it's really good for collaboration like this time. So I've sent some stuff to um, keys players because I don't really play keys. So I've done like the bass and the drums and just been like, please take care of this, like fill out the harmony. And I sent some stuff to um, my friends who sing. But I feel like all the musicians are like working on their own stuff as well. So it's kind of like waiting for them to finish their demos and then like work on mine and then send it back. 
I suppose the other thing is you're going to have this massive bank of material and the, yeah. the outlets for putting it out are, are, are not opening up very fast. The idea of releasing it and then maybe a year goes by and then you tour, it's it's quite hard. Because like, normally people want to release music and then they tour that album and then they play it live. Especially with jazz, like people want to hear the solos and like the different interpretations of the songs. So having to wait a, a year to do that is very hard. <laughs> And and maybe the you know there was a time maybe when it was all about getting a record deal and now it's probably more like getting, yeah. a, getting a tour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, record deals. I feel like now people are seeing that record deals are like, especially for pop singers like they, people get screwed over a lot with record deals. They might drop you or they might like pressure you to write more and more and like to kind of like work you like a mule. So that's not your that's not your goal. Your goal will be more to. Well, what is your goal? Where would you like, um, what would you like to be in five years? Uh, in five years, I'd like to have my own body of work out and to have toured it at least around the UK or and Europe, I'd say. And to have like a fan base, especially for DJing, and play a lot around Europe and I think America. Just different countries, basically, all over the world, DJing. Maybe you have your own club as well. Yeah, that would be cool in Bristol. <laughs> That was Marla Kether, musician, producer and DJ, dreaming of a successful career in the music industry. Covid is not just a health issue. We know that the social, economic and psychological effects of Covid have hit young people hard. As with everything else, Covid has exposed risks and inequalities that were already there. Freelance musicians were already struggling, especially at the start of their careers. The barriers for ethnic minorities and women trying to make it in the cultural and creative industries were there before, and now things are getting a lot tougher. Many of the ways of mitigating these inequalities, funding, mentoring, education, have been cut back. But if we want a genuinely diverse, creative cultural sector, we need to encourage and invest in young people's creative potential, starting from school. We need more opportunities for black musicians and for working class musicians, not just as performers, but as gatekeepers, promoters, venue managers, label owners. That's the dream. The reality is that Marla is staying productive, producing new material, collaborating, planning more live shows next year. She's not giving up, and nor should we. I'm Chris Bilton from University of Warwick, and you've been listening to the Realities and Dreams podcast. Thanks to Marla for her time, to Kirk and Amelia for production, to my colleagues Vish, Maria and Heidi, to Warwick Connecting Cultures and Warwick Productivity and Futures of Work for supporting us, and thanks to you for listening. Thank you.